Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Anytime Chad does the food bank announcement, I get hungry. Like Alpha Gettys. I don't even know what that is, but I want them. Um, it's good to be here. As Chad mentioned, we are just in the second week of our series called Words to Live By. Chad introduced us to this series last week. You know, all of us have uh, phrases, words, uh, statements, ideas that, that we live by, words that kind of carry weight in our lives. They, they inform our decisions and how we live. We think of ideas like uh, everything happens for a reason or, uh, you know, do what makes you happy or, or uh, you know, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. We, we have these, these phrases and statements that kind of take root in our imagination and they begin to shape how we live our lives. Words have power. They, they shape the way we think and live. And Jesus spent a lot of time teaching his disciples, teaching the crowds, he spent a lot of time uh, speaking words, and, and many of those we have recorded in the Gospels. But Jesus' words are different than, you know, your grandma's favorite cliche or, or the good advice your dad gives you on the way out the door or whatever. Jesus' words carry a different kind of weight for us. In John chapter 6, there's this interesting story where uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he actually gives them a really difficult teaching. It's kind of a strange, uh, difficult teaching. You can look it up later if you want. Um, so much so to the point where uh, John records this. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus looks around at his 12 disciples, those who were closest to, to him. And he asks this question, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter replies, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you're the Holy One of God, right? Jesus' words carry a different weight. In the life of a follower of Jesus, his words are weighty. They are words to live by, to direct your steps, to shape your thinking, to shape how you live your life. And this week we look at Jesus' words, uh, teaching from his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus says this, speaking to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why don't we pray? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words. And thank you, God, that we have these words to shape us, to sit under, to get into our mind and into our heart and into our, our actions, our lives. And so, God, we pray that you would speak and you would, you would do exactly that. Get these words, this teaching into our hearts and our hands, our lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Since the beginning of the church, really, followers of Jesus have had this tension, and we continue to experience this tension today. How do we live within the culture that we're a part of? How do we live and follow Jesus in the culture that we're in without becoming like the culture that we're in? It's kind of a question of how do we, you know, fit in and stand out? It's, you know, this kind of age-old question of how do we be in the world, not of the world? How do we embrace the culture at times and maybe even try to impact the culture without becoming like it, without kind of assimilating to it? And throughout church history, um, there's been different seasons of the church where, where, depending on the context, they have responded in different ways. Think of the first kind of 300 years of church history. Uh, Christians were kind of weird in society. They were, they were unique. They were distinct. They were almost, one, one author calls them like a counterculture. They, they were on, to some extent, the fringes, the, the fringe, the, the margins of society living as kind of this unique, different kind of community. Uh, in the book of Acts, they're called the way, like they, this whole way of life that was different. And the church was attractive to people. It was unique and weird, but it was attractive. And, and it grew like wildfire. This is the book of Acts. This is the first 300 years of church history in particular. But then in, in 313 in particular, now most historians will point to this time as a massive shift in the church because the emperor at the time, Constantine, made Christianity the state religion. So Christianity moved from this kind of distinct uh, fringe sort of group on the margins of society to a place you know, that was often persecuted and, and looked down upon to a place of political and cultural power. It moved right into the center of society. And as much as that sounds like a positive shift, there were a few consequences of that edict that was given. On one hand, uh, everyone started to consider themselves Christian because Christianity and the culture were so intertwined. And so everything took on this kind of Christian flavor, moved into the center of society. And so to be a Christian didn't necessarily mean you necessarily followed Jesus, but, but you might have considered yourself a Christian. And so Scholars will point to this time as maybe the time when the church had kind of its peak cultural influence. Think of the church and the government so intertwined. And yet, most people will point to this time as a time when the church became diluted because everything was, was kind of Christian. Everything had this Christian flavor to it. To put it into the context of Jesus' words here in Matthew 5, the church lost some of its saltiness. There's lots of great things, lots of words Jesus says about you know, who we are, lots of great identifiers throughout the New Testament about you know, what it means to follow him. I can't imagine salt is at the top of your list for like you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm salt. Uh, we don't often think of ourselves as salt. It's kind of a strange, uh, a strange metaphor, a strange teaching. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, on that day, um, they obviously didn't have high-efficiency refrigerators and freezers, and so salt was used primarily for, for two things. One, a salt was a preservative. You would, you would salt meat or different things to kind of preserve the good and, and, and get rid of the bacteria. If you think of like, um, I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but like salting a wound, you know, that's kind of a thing. It, it, 
kills the bacteria. It kind of preserves what is good. And so they would use salt in that way. But secondly, and maybe more common way for us to understand it, salt added flavor, right? It added zest. And we know this. Uh, some of you, uh, some people, some of you maybe here, uh, you salt everything, right? Anything and everything that is edible, you're like three minutes later, you're still shaking the salt shaker. Um, I know this because you invite us over for dinner and I watch you. And, and sometimes it, it scares me how much salt people ingest into their body. We, people salt everything because it brings out the flavor, right? It, sometimes it amplifies some of the best flavors in a dish or in a meal when used correctly. How many people, a uh, quick show of hands, we're going to get super Pentecostal here. How many people picked up a new uh, interest or hobby during the pandemic? Stay at home. Uh, we're all at home. Okay. Tough crowd. Few of you. Um, we all had a little more time at home, didn't we? Uh, we had, I think like at the beginning, I, I think we had like two months at home where it was, for, for many of us, where it was, you know, stay at home. Um, I got really into two things. The first was gardening. Uh, I, got, I got really into the seeds and a fancy drip line and like beautiful soil. I'm really into soil. Um, and secondly, I got into baking. I got really into baking. So I essentially became a grandma, um, a, a very cool grandma, which is important. But as I was baking, uh, seriously, I, I, I've actually come to love baking. Um, as I was baking, I noticed that almost every dish called for like a little bit of salt. Have you noticed that? Like if it's a cake, if it's a, you know, whatever, a cupcake, there's always like some recipes will even say like a pinch of salt or a half teaspoon, a quarter teaspoon of salt. It's because salt, uh, one of the things salt does is it, it enhances the flavors of the other ingredients. It kind of makes all the other flavors pop and, and stand out. It adds a depth and a complexity to the recipe. When, of course, used right, when, when you know, used properly. And, and salt can be used improperly. Um, in fact, before the, long before the pandemic, um, this was, uh, I think, when Carissa and I first had gotten married about five years ago, um, I, got, I got inspired one day. Do you ever wake up and you're just like, I'm inspired. The sun's shining, birds are chirping. Some of you are ambitious. You're like, I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to start a brand. I'm going to build a website. Um, I woke up and I was like, I'm going to make snickerdoodle cookies. Um, that's what inspiration looks like for me. And we've all been there. You wake up with a craving for snickerdoodles. And so I started baking snickerdoodles. Carissa was away. Um, I was just alone at home making my cookies. And... Um, if you've made snickerdoodles, uh, great name, by the way, just feels great coming out of the mouth. Um, if you've made snickerdoodles before, you will know that there's a, practically four ingredients. There's flour, there's eggs, but most, most of the recipe is butter and sugar. Um, like, there's an enormous amount of butter and sugar in snickerdoodles. And so I start making my snickerdoodles, and um, they're, they're, they're looking pretty good. I'm getting excited. I put them in the oven. I set the timer. I'm waiting. And if you've ever baked before, you know there's a magical moment when the timer goes, and you open up the oven, and you just get this, like, this waft of warm, beautiful, butter, sugar, baked smell. It just hits you. It, it floods into the kitchen. Um, I was waiting for the timer. The timer went off, and uh, I did not get that magical moment. 
When I opened up uh, the oven, I, I noticed something was off right away because the cookies didn't look quite right. Um, snickerdoodles, they, they kind of, they spread out. Sometimes they flatten and then you just glaze them with a little bit of sugar. They're beautiful. Um, these, these didn't actually rise much at all. They looked a little crumbly. Um, but I picked them up and I thought, you know what, maybe they'll, maybe they'll settle a little bit when they cool. Like I got them out of the oven, maybe after like 10 or 15 minutes cooling, they'll kind of come into shape. So I pulled them out and I was waiting. And after they had cooled enough, I, I, I picked one up and it kind of crumbled in my hand a little bit, which is never a good sign. Um, something was wrong, but I didn't realize that. And so as the dummy I was, I just threw it straight into my mouth. And you know exactly what happened. Uh, the recipe called for four cups of sugar. Sugar and salt look identical. They look identical. They're both white and powdery and whatever. And so I had put four cups of salt in. And you know the taste. Salt is not good on its own. Um, salt is good when it's added to the rest of a recipe. Four cups of salt. It just... I can still taste it. Uh, it's all it is is salt in your mouth. And so needless to say, those cookies went straight in the garbage and straight out of my mouth. Um, and I don't think I've actually revisited snickerdoodles, but too much salt is not good. Salt, when used properly, it does enhance a recipe. It brings out some of the best. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's actually saying something really profound about what it means to follow him. He's saying that his followers should not only preserve what is good in society, but they should also add some flavor to society. They should add something of value. They should enhance society, the world around them. They should add a sense of zest and flavor, like bring out the best, something distinguishable, something distinct. This is part of our calling as, as followers of Jesus, to bring something of value to the world around us. But notice that it's actually, it's possible not to do this. It's possible to lose that sense of flavor and saltiness. Jesus says this, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. About a month ago, um, I had gotten sick with COVID. And as part of that, I had lost my taste and my smell for like three days. I know some of you are in the same boat. Um, and I would go to make my, you know, in the morning, my slow pour over coffee, um, or Carissa would make uh, a really great meal at night. And it was just like nothing. Put my nose right in the coffee, nothing. It was so strange and so weird. Um, and I just realized through those, you know, few days that life without taste is so boring. Like it is so bland when food just becomes sustenance, when it becomes like duty, I have to do this just to keep my body going, it is so boring, so, so lifeless, so tasteless, all the joy of food is zapped out. And Jesus is saying it's possible for us to lose our, our saltiness, to blend in so much that we become indistinguishable. We have nothing distinct to offer the world. It's possible both individually and I think as a church, corporately, to, to adapt so much to the world, to maybe even embrace or become like the culture so much that we have nothing distinct to offer 
the world around us. And the question looming underneath these words of Jesus, these words to live by is this, does our faith and the way we live our lives have something of value to offer the world? Does our faith have something unique and, and a value to offer our neighbors, our workplaces, our relationships, our families? Does the way we live our lives have something to offer? Because notice, this is a statement about us as Jesus' followers. He uses a different metaphor right after saying, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. These are statements, they're not promises. He's not saying you will be the light of the world. You will be the salt of the earth if you blank. He's saying you are, like this is who you are. This is part of your calling to be salt, to be light. You take on a distinctiveness, a flavor in the world with so many ideas and religions and narratives. You take on a distinctiveness as you follow Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And so be light, be salt, let your light shine. So often when we think about impacting the culture around us, the society at large, so often we're tempted to think of uh, like uh, positions of power, whether it's in government or in culture, um, politics, media, we often look to institutions and cultural power as the solution to impact our culture. How can we get Christian legislation passed? How can we get more Christians into places of influence, into office, into the Supreme Court? How can we get prayer back in school? Not all prayer, of course, just Christian prayer, right? How can we regain some of the cultural power that we maybe had at one time? It is so tempting to hitch our wagon to a movement or a political party, or even especially with my generation, a celebrity, like a Christian celebrity to kind of influence and impact the culture that we're in, right? We love when a, a celebrity like Justin Bieber or Kanye West comes out as a Christian and releases an album and we like point to that person, like look at this person and they're a Christian, they have influence, they have a sense of power in our society because people know them. But I wanna suggest that the invitation in this text, and I think the invitation for us in this particular cultural moment is not to grasp for some sense of cultural or political power, nor is it to kind of blend in and make Christianity like uber cool and relevant so that it becomes tasteless. I think the invitation from Jesus is to embrace a more embodied and distinct faith ourselves. It's for us to be salt, for us to be light. Hear it again, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. The invitation is for us, each one of us, and together as a community to bring light into the world, to bring flavor, to bring something of value to the world through how we live, to live in a way, to embody a lifestyle that is distinct and different even at times from the world around us, something that attracts people and draws them in and ultimately points them to Jesus. Right, following Jesus is not just something you believe in in your head, it's something you do with your actual life. Sometimes we get stuck on this idea that we're not saved by works or our behavior or what we do, and that's all true. We're saved by grace through faith. But just hear Jesus' words 
again. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The emphasis here is, is actually on good deeds. It's on how we live. It's on our behavior. It's on our lifestyle. It's on how we actually live our lives, which means that how we live matters. How we treat people matters. How we interact online matters. How we spend our money matters. How we care for the poor or engage in justice issues matters. How you live out and embody your faith in Jesus each and every day matters. Does our faith in Jesus, does the way we live our lives have something to offer the world around us? Does it have something distinct and distinguishable, something of value to bring to the culture that we're in? Does it add light? Does it add flavor to a world that is so full of darkness? Or have we sought power and cultural influence through institutions or through a vote or some other way and, and forgotten, maybe even dismissed Jesus' invitation here for you and I and us together to be salt and light, to embrace a life of good deeds, not just good theology or good church attendance. Michael Frost, I'm going to invite the band to come as we close this morning. Um, there's an author I like. His name is Michael Frost. He's an Australian writer and thinker. So he's kind of out of our context. But um, he wrote a book that has, I think, one of the best titles of all time. Uh, it's called Keep Christianity Weird, Embracing the Discipline of Being Different. And his whole point is that the church is at its best when it embraces a sense of uh, a difference, of distinctiveness of Jesus' word saltiness, when it, when it lives as kind of a counterculture in the culture that we're in. And I wonder if in our desire to be relevant or to gain some sort of cultural credibility or influence, that the pendulum has maybe just swung too far, that we've, we've lost some of our distinctiveness, our saltiness. We've tried to make change through institutions or cultural relevance or power, and in doing so, we've missed Jesus' invitation for you and I to live and embody a faith that is distinct and distinguishable, that adds value to our neighbors, that causes people to go, man, what is it about that person? What is it about that group of people? What is it about this family? They live differently. There's something weird maybe about them but it's attractive and it draws people in and ultimately points them to Jesus. Michael Frost writes this. He says, the church needs to recover its identity as an alternative redeemed society embedded within the particular culture of which it's a part, demonstrating there's another way. Jesus does not tell us to get as much political or cultural power as possible and cling to it as long as we can. He does tell us to let our light shine before others. Let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds, your lifestyle, be drawn in and pointed to Jesus. In fact, it's often when the, when the church loses its cultural power, it's often when the church loses its kind of status in society that it becomes salty again. It becomes distinct. It becomes embodied in everyday ordinary people like you and I who take up this invitation to be salt, to be light in a dark world. 
And I think in our post-Christian culture today, you know, coming out of a pandemic, I think people are longing for a better way, a different way to live, longing for an example of life to the full, abundant life, looking for someone, anyone to show them what it looks like to live a full and abundant life. And our faith embodied and lived out, carried out through ordinary people like you and I has something to offer people. It has something to offer our neighbors. It has something to offer our workplaces, our families, our friend circles, our spheres of influence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. And so this morning, you know, I was thinking, how do we respond to Jesus' words here? But really, these are words about what we do as we leave here, right? These are words about what we do as we get out of this building and maybe out of this service. Because as we step into the world, we take up this invitation, this calling to be salt, to be light in the world, to go into our neighborhoods and workplaces and friend circles and families and to be that kind of people. And this does not happen by accident, nor does it happen just by willpower alone. We need the Spirit of God to fill us, to empower us, to live as His people, as salt and light. And so we're gonna sing this song um, that just has these words, uh, pour your spirit out. And I thought what a fitting way for us to end is we just invite the spirit of God to come and fill us and make us into people who, who live as salt and light. And so why don't you stand with me as, as we pray. Maybe as we sing this song, you would just open your hands kind of outward as just an invitation to receive for the Spirit of God to come and fill you and pour, to, for God to pour His Spirit out onto you and I. So why don't we pray together? Jesus, thank you for, again, your words to us, words that carry weight in our hearts, weight in our lives, and God, we, we receive your words. What an invitation to be salt, to be your light in the world. God, we just simply reflect the light that, that you've given us, that you've shown us. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We turn our hearts towards you, Jesus. We invite you to come and fill our lives with your life, that we might be light in darkness. We might be salt in an earth that is so full of people groups and different ideas and narratives and ideologies that we might be distinct, your people that reflect your character to the world. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill us as your people. Come fill us with your spirit. Overflow in us, we pray, God, as your people, individually and together as a community. Come, Holy Spirit, make us into your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together as we close and respond.